And I see Gerald and Diane here. Why don't you give us the full... Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. I hate to treat back to business, but we have a a, uh, stewards meeting for 20 minutes right after the church, stewards. Uh, You can meet in my office for 20 minutes. You know, in this world today, people love power, and they want to hang on to power. And as much money money and power as they can get, it seems that they would be more and more happy. That they could somehow hold on to what makes them happy. When I, my first class that I took in preparation for ministry, written by Bill McCumber, uh, has given me a lifetime fascination with the contrast between King Saul and King David. It's a fascinating contrast And I get into the details, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But Saul, who was anointed by Samuel to be king, and it was pretty clear, and and it didn't take very long, Saul decided that he knew best. He would not follow God's plan. And then he would begin to say, well, I know what I was supposed to do, but I figured out a better way to serve you, God, than actual being, being obedient to you. Then the scripture would say that, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. Paul didn't quite, I mean, uh, Saul didn't quite get that. Saul later discovers that David is going to be the next king, and Saul spends pretty much his entire life trying to destroy David. Trying to hold on to power, trying to say, if I can kill David, then I can remain king forever. I think it's fascinating that David had a couple of opportunities to kill Saul, and, and really bring about his own power and his own kingdom, and he doesn't. And he talks about how valuable Saul's life is. And I think the words, this is not the scripture this morning, but I, I think the words that are, that are used right here are haunting, and I want you to listen to it very closely after this interaction with David and Saul. And Saul is like thinking, oh my goodness, I've spent my entire life trying to gain power and trying to destroy you. And in, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 26 In that 21st verse, then Saul said, at the end of his life, he will die in a couple of chapters. I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. And indeed, I have played the fool and I have erred exceedingly. The king of perhaps the most powerful king that we had seen at this point in time. He has put it all together, trying to live, been chosen by God, been living for God as he designed, as he thought he should live for God, even better than the way God had told him. And he said it at the very end, I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. What a tragic story. And I want to to, to look that he's not the only person who has done things. If there is one person here today, we have a mic and I want you to come forward. If there's one here today who is perfect in every way and has not sinned and has served God with every complete and never made a mistake, please come up. We want to interview this morning. King David was also chosen to be king. 
by God through Samuel. Two very similar stories. And King David sinned, and he sinned horrifically. Yet we stand today and call David a man after God's own heart. He doesn't die saying, I have sinned, I have erred exceedingly. But he had sinned, he had erred exceedingly, he did have the same thing. But the approach to what he does is so vastly different. And to this morning, I would equate it to this. You've all been chosen by God. God has reached down and said, you're my child. Each and every one of you has been. Whether you've accepted and and whether you've made changes, that's another story. But each one has been chosen, just like Samuel poured the oil on David and on Saul. He's poured it on you and said, you're my child. The real thing that we have to deal with is because they both believed in God. They both wanted to honor God. They both wanted to serve God. But somehow, one erred exceedingly, and it was horrific death, and somehow errs exceedingly but is in the midst of what God has called him to do what is this dichotomy and how do we deal with that and how does it deal with how do we approach it this psalm today which is psalm 51 is one of the the few psalms that we are giving such great background the historical background that leads to the exact writing that is here in fact the inscription that says here it says a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So it's clearly identifying, if you know any story here, and I'll cover it a little bit if you don't know the story, but it clearly identifies for us the incident from which this psalm is written. It was the time when King David becomes involved in a double sin. Adultery and then murder. Yes, Saul said, I have erred exceedingly, I've sinned, I've erred exceedingly, I have played the fool. David has, has committed adultery and he's killed somebody, but somehow he doesn't have that same story. What is this, how can we deal with this? What, is, what happens here? And it's interesting that David records the sin for us. He's the one writing the psalm. He tells us about the sin. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't, well, he tries to hide it, but eventually he comes out and he's telling us what he did. I know all of you are looking so forward to a, 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 a Donald Trump, a, a Joe Biden to stand before us all and tell us the things that they did wrong. Yeah, look for that. They might be a little bit more like Saul. I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they might. They want to hoard the power. They want to hold the power. They don't want to give up the power. So David records this for us. That he has entered into an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And later, she is pregnant and he is panicked. And he tries to cover up his actions. David knows that ultimately this sin would be found out. And so he took another step. Isn't that the trademark of sin? When we've done something wrong, and we know we've done something wrong, we'll do something else wrong to cover it up, to hide it. Sin will be layered upon sin. We'll do one thing and then another thing just to keep covered up. Please, just don't make me accountable. Just let me keep my power. Let me keep my money. Just, just don't let me deal with this. And so sin on top of sin begins to pile up, and it leads to deeper and deeper into an abyss. Somebody said sin will lead you farther than you ever intended to go. That's exactly what's happening in David's life. 
And before David knows about it, he's a great king. He's found himself forced into this desperate attempt to cover up the evil that he has participated in. And he orders Uriah, who was the husband of Bathsheba, who he's had a relationship with, to be put in the front of the battle where he might be killed. Where he would certainly be killed. And when news of, of Uriah's death reaches David, he thinks, Whoo! I'm off the hook. Nobody's ever going to know now. My sin has been buried and you will never know my sin and I can just pretend and hold on to power. But his sin continues to haunt him. Up to this point, David is following a pattern that's been established by Saul already. Cover up your sin. Act like you know better. Don't really listen to God. You've got to figure out, you can figure out a better way to serve God than, than anybody else. You're, you're more, we need you as king, so therefore your sins don't matter. We need you to king, whatever, whatever happens. Act like we're not doing any wrong. That's what they both do. They explain it away. And this might be where much of the American church lives today. We work hard explaining things away. Sins that we've decided aren't sins because we've come to a place of reason and logic and we don't need to call it sin and I don't want you to think badly of me and I just can't let you know about this. It's where the American church lives and in particular the church of the Nazarene where we believe in holiness and when people believe holiness means that you cannot sin. That is not true. Never been our doctrine ever. But somehow I got it rooted in. It says, oh, you can't be holy if you sin. No, that is not it. You need to understand exactly that the best way, and it is a full, a full example here, is to own up and say, yes, I did wrong, and then figure out, process through this. And I think most of America is hiding, covering up. Don't look at me. I'm not bad, as bad as they are, so just don't look this way. Do you remember the Edgar Allan Poe stories? Anybody remember those? Do you remember the telltale heart? Yeah. You know, in that story, the main character commits a murder, buries the body of the victim in his basement. The murderer is unable to escape, though, this haunting guilt. His deed keeps coming back to him over and over again. He begins to hear the heartbeat of his victim that's down in the basement that's buried. He can hear it. It's haunting him. And a cold sweat pours over him as the heartbeat goes on and on. It's relentlessly going louder and louder. And eventually it becomes clear to us, the reader, that the pounding which drives this man was not in the grave, but it was the beating in his own chest. I believe sin is the same way. We can put as many things on top of it as we want to and try to make our life a little better. We try to make sure everybody likes us in a certain way. We try to accumulate enough wealth that we think that we can no longer hear and worry about the things that we know that we've done wrong. We think it's okay, but I tell you, you never get away, even if it comes to the end of your life and you're like Saul and you said, I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. I've spent my entire life trying to cover up something. Then ultimately in the end, I ruined my life. Ruined my life. Covering one thing up over another. Mm. You get the sense that that may be what David felt. The guilt is unbearable. Sin will haunt you. It will haunt you. It will haunt you. But yet God loved David so very much. 
He was not going to let him continue to damage himself, to wallow in it, and his entire kingdom by this hidden sin. And so you know what, what, what happens in this situation with God? We can say Nathan is brought out to expose it so that there might be brought in the light and we can move forward. Man, how about that, folks? Someone who's going to come up and tell on you could actually be a blessing. That's going to say, I saw what you did. I know what you're engaged in. How wonderful is that? Let's all raise our hand. We want, we could just keep people to pour in and start telling stories about you today. That is great, isn't it? It could be. Nathan comes. And he confronts David, and he, and he tells the story, and David's like, oh my goodness, that is me. I have sinned. I, I've convinced myself I didn't, but oh my, that is horrific. And David says, I will not deny it, that is who I am. He acknowledges, and he says, it's a terrible sin that I have engaged in. He falls on his face before God, and out of that experience of confession, we finally get to the scripture. That's a long intro, isn't it? <laughs> That's a long intro. Psalm 51 this, this morning. I promise you that I still will hold to my regular time, even though. Psalm 51. If you want to stand with me as we read. So all of that, David's confronted, and he begins to write. For all of history to see, he's not hiding a thing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. In one of the best passages of Scripture in all of the Bible, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast away your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud. Of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall shall forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice. He's relating directly to Saul right here. This is what Saul did wrong. He said, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would have given it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Mm. And a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. They shall, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Father, bless us in your reading, I pray in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So totally different 
that David has than Saul has. Saul's kind of figuring it out. So now, yeah, I did wrong. I'm really sorry about that, but let's continue on. And, and, and David just stops in his tracks and says, it's a contrite heart. It's in the brokenness that I am nothing, that ultimately I have sinned, and I deserve punishment. I, that is a total different place to be. That doesn't lead us to the end of our life saying, I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly, drastically different. Hmm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David does not say, change the way I behave, God. He says, create, create in me a clean heart, a new heart. It's not, a, it's not that behavior is unimportant. It's really not. That's because it is important. And it's, it's not that, um, it's just that we got to start in the beginning of the heart. What motivates, what moves, it's deep inside. It's not just about your actions. Your actions come from the heart. And when the heart is dealt with, all of a sudden, everything else is different. He's saying right here, deep inside where no one will ever see, where it's just between me and you, God, it's that somehow David puts it in front of all of us to see for all of history. He says, God, break me, mold me, search me, try me, see if there be some wicked way in me, and tell me, and make it back, because you can create it, I can't do it, otherwise it's just me faking it. It's me pretending, it's me trying to look like what I think it's supposed to look like. We can only go through the motions sometimes. If our heart is not right, if our heart doesn't, is not broken into, into understanding that God created us and loves us and absolutely wants the best for us, and then somehow we turned it around and said, I'll figure it out, God, leave me alone. We never say that with our lips, but we often say it with our heart. Cleansing needs to begin. It has to begin in the heart. And it's God himself who does that. David doesn't offer to do it himself. God, when I do this, then it'll be okay. In fact, David knows that he cannot. He cannot make it right. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And he goes back to the language of creation itself, to the very first chapter of Genesis about how God creates. It's the word create that's used here in, in, in Psalm 51. It's the very same Hebrew word that's in Genesis. In fact, it's a word that's used in Scripture, and it's only used when God does something, not man. When God creates, and it's that word, he says, God, you can do it. Nobody else can do it. To create something out of nothing. Where nothing exists, you can bring something in. Only God has the power to speak things into existence, to bring them about, even in the, in the midst of chaos and, and, and darkness, which is exactly what he did in creation in Genesis. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Only God has the ability to take away the heart of sin and create a new one. And the scriptures are clear. Second Corinthians says we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? God has always been creating. And God is still creating, even in you today. I say it all the time. A new heart, a new mindset, a new pattern for living. God is creating. The thing is, we just have to let him. We just have to let him create and bring something new. And when he challenges it, then we become obedient to it. And then all of a sudden we recognize, ah, something that I fretted so long in my life turns out to actually be a blessing. A Nathan who comes in and exposes me 
is a blessing because now I can begin a new creation. I couldn't begin a new creation until I was broken. Until I was broken, now, now we could build on the real foundation of what God has called us to do. People try to deal with their sin, like I said, in different ways. Cover it up. Good works. If I do enough good deeds, I can balance the scales. But good deeds do not remove sin. Only the sacrifice that Jesus Christ offered on the cross can take away sins, can take away guilt, can take away shame. Notice how David prepared himself before he asked God to create. Before he says, God created me a new heart, there's this contrition, this downright contrition that happens here. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And to be contrite means that our inner self is crushed. Man, what kind of message are you preaching, Pastor? You want people to be destroyed, to be brought down low? Well, yeah, but not in the way that you might think. We don't want to just squash. He doesn't want to squash and kept low. He wants us to be able to come back strong. Have you ever been in a garden? You've got to kind of destroy it to get it stretched, get all the weeds out, and then you can build it up where it goes strong? You've got to start somewhere and get the bad stuff out that you might then be able to thrive and continue to live the way that God wanted you to live, to be the garden that God created from the beginning. Sometimes it's got to be broken, all that soil broken up to start where it would be right. You ever try to put a Band-Aid on something like a bad foundation? It doesn't work. You cover it up. It keeps cracking. We got a little problem right over here. It's not, not that problem. The building's 30 years old. A little foundation shift. There's a crack in the floor. There's a crack in the ceiling. Yesterday, I had, we, we did a little work, and, and Joe put a little patch on it. I said, yeah, it'll be back. You can't fix it. You got to fix the foundation to really fix it. Now, it's not enough that we're going to tear this building down. Let's don't compare that to a spiritual thing here this morning. But to really fix it, you do have to destroy it. You do have to come down and fix the foundation that it might be, it will never be that way again. That's the way it works. And that's what David is saying. you got to break it down, the contrite heart. It's got to be broken so that we can build something the way that God would be glorified and not you. Because that's what Saul did. Saul said, yeah, I'm sorry. But I'm going to be king and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to hold on to power. And we're making everybody worship me. And they'll say, oh, he's a great guy. He loves God, but he's, a, he's great. You know, and, the, and that's the thing. That's what happens in Christianity. Sometimes we think if you're not a Christian, you've got to worship the devil somehow. But no, often we just want to put ourselves in the place of Christ. None of us would say I'm putting my... No, but we begin to act like, hey, look, I do all the things that Christ And Look at me. As opposed to Paul who says, follow me as I follow Christ. To be contrite means that our inner self is crushed. It does not merely mean, merely meaning, mean feel bad or remorseful about sin. That is part of it. But it means this, to have a determined desire to do differently. I must do it differently. I must be changed. My motivation must be different. To repent fully. And repent means to turn your direction, to change your mind. That that's not the way I will do it anymore. But I will go in a different direction. Uh, there's a man who wrote a letter to the Internal Revenue Service. Kent Poff, this is probably something you've heard before. He said, I've been able to, unable to sleep. Because last year when I filed my income taxes, I deliberately misrepresented my income and my deductions. 
And I'm enclosing a check for $50. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. Very funny, but that's the way that we sometimes live with Christ. Oh, just a little bit. Hey, let me make up for a little bit of, a little bit of sin, a little bit of contriteness. And now, now God, yeah, now we're better as opposed to the complete brokenness. That is not an attitude of contrition to the IRS. The tendency of the flesh is to rationalize, to explain, to excuse, to defend, to justify sin. That's the, that's the tendency that humans have. Welcome to the club. We're all there. A contrite heart does not seem to blame the circumstances on other people or even God. You don't see David blaming God. You don't see David blaming Bathsheba for taking a bath on top of a rooftop in a city where people would see. He doesn't, you don't see that. You hear the blame game all the time. Everybody else is doing it. I'm just treating them the way they treat me. It's, it's not personal. It's just business, right? If they're not apologizing, I'm not going to apologize. It's only the IRS. They got enough money. They do bad things anyway. If we ever hope to have a clean heart, there must be true contrition. And true contrition is followed closely by confession. And man, do we suffer in the American church with confession. Mm, David confessed his sin to God. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. David's son Solomon puts it this way. He said, those who cover their sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's one of the reasons why so many people suffer for years. Because they're not willing to come to the place where they acknowledge their sin and confess it. They refuse to call it what God calls it, sin. Let's empty ourselves of all unrighteousness. Let's lay our sins on the cross where God had said, this is the place where Jesus gave us and said, right there is where you can put it. Today is the day to allow God to, to mold you more fully, more clearly into the image of His Son. Today is the day to let the light of, of Christian shine from within your very being, and it can be created every day. Oh Lord, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Carrie, can you come on up here? I can't say it enough. Well, the world has really, particularly in the church, become less confrontational about sin. It still exists. It still has to be dealt with. Confession is absolutely necessary that we confess to God. And I'll tell you, when you confess to God, you don't wind up in your life saying, I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. I've lived my life pretending like I was something that I wasn't. When all David said, he had the same scenario. He had sins that were very similar. And he just said, God, you're right. I have done wrong. I need to do better. It's because I've decided that I wouldn't figure out how to live life as opposed to seek God. And he said, I need to be broken so that I might be built up. And he dies a whole lot different. He talks about how God's kingdom will expand and how his life can help other people. It's not about him, but it's about other people. How often do you ever stop and say, God, search me and try me 
See if there's some wicked way in me as opposed to dealing with one individual thing because I believe this with all of my heart. If you believe that God is real and you believe the Holy Spirit is real and he speaks to people, he'll speak to you if you'll listen and you'll ask him. There is this old hymn that's, that's in the, in the, on 516. I don't know if uh, you got it up, but I, you need to read the words as much as we sing together here on 516. Maybe, And if you need to, why don't we just stand? If you need to take action this morning, take it. And if you don't need to take action, that's okay. Nobody's here judging. David, one of the most famous people in Scripture, probably committed far sin, more sin than anybody here. Yet he is known because he was open and broken. I'd like to be known for being open and broken that I might be able to uplift God the way that he wants me to. Let's sing. If you need to take action this morning, stand, kneel, do whatever you want. But let's, let's ask God to search us. You <clears throat> have spoken, I hear you clearly speaking to me. And I pray that the group of people here would find ourselves in obedience to you. God, it's not about some great sins such as David and Saul committed, Father, but it's sometimes the things that probably no one cares about and no one pays attention to. God, I pray for all of us that you would instill in us the great desire to spend time alone with you, to invite you to, to, to search us and try us, and that you might be able to bring us to the point where, Father, we would be, have a contrite spirit, where we would be confessing to you, God, where you could bring in your atonement, Father, where we could be made whole with you, regardless of whether we were saved at five or whether we were saved at 75, God, we know that you continue to create in us each and every day of our life, and we need that. And if anyone here is missing it, Father, bring us back to that. We might be able to live according to your precepts and your concepts. God, we want to be your people, called by your name, living, honoring, glorifying, and serving you. Help us to get past ourselves and see completely the way that God and Jesus wants us to live, God. We love you. We honor you. We ask for your blessings on us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen.